Hi, I'm Skip Nipper. Welcome to my podcast, where I tell you about Nashville's great baseball history and traditions. Shot to right a one-hop liner. Certainly about its past, especially about Tom Wilson Park, Herschel Greer Stadium, Sulphur Dale, but also a little bit about its present and future, too. Yes, he can. A mix the waist-high catch. And I introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans and their love for everything baseball. A high fly ball down the right field corner going way back. Hits a leadoff home run. We're in a time of turmoil right now in the world with people's lives being lost for various reasons. But here in the United States this weekend, we are at least pausing to remember Veterans Day. And it's a worthy time to stop and remember those who have served. We have many in our family who served. I had two uncles and a grandfather who served in the United States Navy during World War II. My dad could not serve during the Korean War because in those days, if you started a family, you were uh, exempt. But, um, you know, there have been wars going on in the world for a long time, and it's always the case where the United States has stepped up. And I just thought for this Veterans Day weekend, I would bring attention to a few who served in the military, mostly during World War II, but not all, that have a Nashville connection. I've been interested in a website called BaseballInWartime.com. Gary Bedingfield, I don't think he lives in the United States. He lives in England. I hope to talk to him. He came to town one time and we just couldn't hook up. And I hope to have a sit down with him there where we can go over some of the things that he's given attention to. His Baseball's Greatest Sacrificed website is dedicated to players who lost their lives in military service, whether they were killed in action, died from wounds, illness, or accident. Detailed biographies of these men are included as part of the most comprehensive resource of its type in the internet, dating back as far as the Civil War. Baseball players were serving and making the ultimate sacrifice for their country. So he has this book, Baseball's Greatest Sacrifice, but he also has this website, baseballinwartime.com, and and it's pretty extensive. He's had this website since 2001, and it's dedicated to preserving the memories of all baseball players, whether they be major league, Negro league, minor league, semi-pro, college, amateur, or high school who served with the military between 1940 and 1946 because World War II was a trying time and baseball was really in its heyday and it didn't take a pause, but many players such as Bob Feller, Hank Greenberg, Joe DiMaggio, and Ted Williams lost vital playing time in the prime of their careers. And even back during World War One, Ty Cobb and Christy Mathewson served our country. So let me tell you about a few of these. A couple were born in Nashville. A couple just had their career here in Nashville. First of all, I want to talk about George Archie. A lot of the local players in the Tri-State League played under George Archie. He coached the Nashville Bridge Company team. He was born in Nashville on April the 27th, 1914. He played the major leagues, had played third base and first base and for the St. Louis Browns and the Washington Senators. Archie was inducted into the Army on December the 9th, 1941, at Camp Forest, Tennessee. And in 1942, he was at the Jefferson Barracks in Missouri and played baseball there. 
1943, he was at Fort Riley, Kansas, where he also played baseball and was voted the National Baseball Congress Most Valuable Player in 1943 for helping the Camp Wheeler Spokes to the NBC World Series title. He was at Camp Shelby, Mississippi in 1944 and in 1945, went overseas with the 65th Infantry Division and served in France and Germany. After Germany surrendered, Archie played overseas with the 65th Infantry Baseball Team with Harry Walker, Ken Heinzelman, and George Sharon, and the 65th were uh, second Corps champions that year. He was honorably discharged from the Army in January of 1946, and he returned to the St. Louis Brown. At the age of 32 years old, he'd been away for four seasons. And he said, I came back after the war, but I had lost too much. The eyesight and what speed I had, he said in an interview in 1991. And after only four games, he was released and he joined the L.A. Angels in the Pacific Coast League. Now, he continued to play in the minors and was player manager at Texarkana, but he messed up his knee. And he took a job at the shipyards in Nashville, where he worked for 28 years. He was a head baseball coach at Vanderbilt, you may remember, from 1965 to 1967. And his longtime friend, Herb Connolly of Seattle, said, George was a real hero back then. He gave up his career to go with General George Patton into Germany, Austria, and France. And that was his legacy. George Archie passed away in Nashville on September the 20th, 2001, and he was 87 years old and a real hero to Nashville baseball and in the military. Another one I'd like to tell you about, there's an exhibit at the Tennessee State uh, Archives and Museum uh, on Johnny Beasley, where he donated, uh, his family donated a lot of his memorabilia and documents. Don, Johnny Beasley was born on May the 25th, 1918 in Nashville. He had major league experience with the St. Louis Cardinals in 1942, He won 21 games as a rookie for the Cardinals, and he added two more victories in the team's World Series win over the New York Yankees. He had skills that made even the best of scouts mouths water and was expected to be great for years to come, but he enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Corps during World War II on November the 3rd, 1942, and was commissioned a second lieutenant on March the 3rd, 1943. He was sent to pitch for an Army team, and a year later, Beasley, overtaxed by the Army, felt pain in his arm, and he was ordered by his commanding officer to pitch through the pain, doing permanent damage, and he was really never the same again. He was released from the Army on March 17, 1946, but won only nine games for the rest of his career, and after leaving baseball, he became a beer distributor and he died of cancer at age 71 on April the 21st, 1990. He rose to the rank of first lieutenant in the United States Army Air Force, and he served in the United States. And my caps goes off to Johnny Beasley for his wartime service from being a baseball star. One that doesn't have a direct connection to being born in Nashville, but was a fan favorite in Nashville with the Nashville Vols, was Charlie Gilbert. Charlie Gilbert was born on July the 8th, 1919, in New Orleans, had major league experience in the outfield, 
but he was also in the United States Navy and served in the Pacific Theater of Operations. He came from an outstanding baseball playing family. His father, Larry, had played for the Boston Braves and managed the New Orleans Pelicans. His older brother, Larry Jr., played for the Pelicans in 1938, but fell ill and tragically died in 1941. His younger brother, Harold, also known as Tookie, would play for the Giants in the 1950s. Now, Gilbert played four years of high school ball at Jesuit High and four years of American Legion. He was on the 1936 Legion team that was beaten by Chicago in the finals. He began his pro career at Nashville in 1939. That was the year that his dad came from New Orleans to become the new Nashville manager. He batted 317 with 67 RBI, and Brooklyn purchased his contract at the end of the season, but he suffered a leg injury with the Dodgers in 1940 after playing only 57 games, and he was sent down to Montreal. Now, Charlie Gilbert was traded to the Cubs in May of 1941, and he remained with them until entering military service with Navy in 1944. He was stationed at the U.S. Naval Air Technical Training Center in Norman, Oklahoma, where he continued to play baseball and was with the team when they lost the 11th Naval District Championship to San Diego MCB in 1944. He served at the Pearl Harbor Submarine Base in Hawaii in 1945 and rejoined the Cubs after being discharged on February the 6th, 1946. Now, he had managed only one hit in 13 at-bats when he was traded to the Phillies in June of 46, and with Philadelphia, he batted 242 in 88 games, and the next season batted 237. But he finished his professional career in style in 1948 by returning to Nashville, where he played for his father once again. It was his father, Larry's last year as the manager for Nashville. And Charlie batted 362 with 42 home runs and 110 RBI. And he became the vice president and assistant general manager for his dad for many years after that when his playing career was over. Charlie Gilbert passed away in New Orleans on August the 13th. 1983. Charlie Gilbert had two great years with the Nashville Vols. And another one who had some good years with Nashville was Russ Mears. He was born on November the 28th, 1918 in Tilton, Illinois. He was with the United States Navy, also in the Pacific Theater of Operations. He was a left-handed strikeout artist who would always be plagued with control problems, and he began his professional career in 1937. But by 1940, he was with the Nashville Vols, posting a 6-3, one-loss record as the Vols clinched the league pennant. The next season, in 1941 with Nashville, he struck out 161 opposing batters to lead the league, although he also walked 167. That performance, however, was good enough for the Cubs to purchase his contract, and he made his major league debut in the Cubs' last game of the season of 1941. He put in a solid performance, scattering five hits over eight innings and walking none, but three fielding errors by the Cubs allowed the Cardinals to score two unearned runs in their 3-1 to one win. And he was farmed out to the Milwaukee Brewers of the American Association in 1942, but in June quit the team to join the Navy. He was the first on the Cubs roster to enter military service and 48th in the club's organization to serve. 
where he was serving at the Great Lakes Naval Training Center in 1942, and upon the guidance of manager Mickey Cochran, he played alongside such major league stars as Johnny Rigney, Joe Grace, Frankie Pitlack, and Benny McCoy. And in 1942, the Great Lakes Blue Jackets played 77 games and won 63 of them. 1944-1945, he was at the Norfolk Naval Training Station. And on March 30th, 1945, he pitched for the Norfolk team against the Philadelphia Athletics, hurling the opening six innings, allowing just two hits in the 2-1 to win. Now, Mears spent the latter part of 1945 in Hawaii and was discharged from the Navy on October the 29th. And manager Charlie Grimm was expecting great things of Mears in 1946, but having had three years of military service and had missed three and a half seasons of organized baseball, he just wasn't the same. And he made seven appearances for the Cubs with a 1-2-1 and loss record and a 3.18 ERA. In 1947, Mears pitched in 35 games for the Cubs. He had two wins with no losses, and the Cubs sold him to Shreveport of the Texas League in September of 47, and he would not see the majors again. In 1948, he was purchased from Shreveport by Buffalo of the International League, where he ended his pro career. Now, he worked for Ford Motor Company for 31 years, retiring in July 1981, as manager of the Parts Distribution Center in Atlanta. And when he was living in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, was a member of the nearby Duck, North Carolina United Methodist Church and taught Sunday school in various churches over the years, as well as coaching Little League Baseball. In September 1994, Dorothy, his wife of 49 years, passed away. And Russ Mears passed away two months later on November the 16th, 1994, just two weeks shy of his 76th birthday. Hort Wilhelm was a knuckleball pitcher. He was born on July the 26th, 1922, in Huntersville, North Carolina, and he became interested in the knuckleball while he was playing for Cornelius High School in North Carolina. He'd read a story about knuckleball pitcher Dutch Leonard, and he started to experiment with it. And he said, as a kid in high school, I just didn't have a fast one, he told the Sporting News in on June the 10th, 1953, and I picked up the knuckler. Nobody taught me. I just found out about throwing it. Well, his career was a long one, and his, but it was put on hold when he entered military service with the Army in November of 1942, and he pitched and played first base for the 393rd and later the 395th Infantry Regiment in 1943 and 1944 at Camp Maxey, Texas, helping the 395th clinch the 99th Infantry Division Championship in 1944. That division sailed for England in September of 44 and arrived in France in November. Staff Sergeant Hoyt Wilhelm was in combat with the 395th and was awarded the Purple Heart for wounds received during the Battle of the Bulge. And he was 23 years old when he returned to Mooresville in 1946 and won 21 games The following year, he won 20, and he was a North Carolina State League All-Star, purchased by Boston in 1947. His time with the team was short-lived because he was drafted by the New York Giants and played in their farm system. But he made his major league debut on April the 19th, 1952, at the age of 29. And in his first major league season, he made 71 relief appearances 
for an incredible 15-3 one-loss record. Furthermore, in his debut at the Poland Grounds on April the 23rd, he had a home run in his first at-bat, and if you can believe it, it was his only home run of his career because his career lasted until 1972. He compiled a 143 wins against 122 losses record, had 227 saves, and a 2.52 ERA for nine different teams. He was an all-star many times, and he started the game on September the 28th, 1958, and pitched a no-hitter against the Yankees. In the next year, he was kept in the starting rotation, finishing 15-11, and and led the league with a 2.19 ERA. While his pitch baffled opponents, it terrorized Baltimore's catcher, catchers, and the team set a record with 49 passed balls. He pitched at the major league level for the last time in 1972 for the L.A. Dodgers, retiring a week before his 50th birthday. And when he was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1985, he was the first relief pitcher to receive that honor. And what is his connection to Nashville? In 1982, 1983, and 1984, he was the pitching coach for the Nashville Sounds. Wilhelm passed away on August the 23rd, 2002, in Sarasota, Florida, at the age of 79. Another great pitcher for the Nashville Vols and had a great story was uh, Johnny Sane. He was born in September 25th of 1917 in Havana, Arkansas. He was in the United States Navy, first played pro ball in 1936 with Osceola in the Northeast Arkansas League, and he gave up a home run to the first man he faced but went on to win that game. The following year, he was back with Osceola again, and he joined a Newport in the same league that next season where he was 16-4 in 1938 and 18-10 the following year. His career seemed to stagnate after that because he'd been in the same league for four seasons. But in the spring of 1940, Sane was begrudgingly preparing for his fifth campaign in that Northeast Arkansas League when he found himself a free agent. Uh, He found himself without a team, and he was, was advised to go and see Larry Gilbert of Nashville in the Southern Association. And Gilbert liked what he saw, and Sane joined the team for spring training. And he went eight and four with Nashville that year and was six and 12 in 1941, as well as hitting 320 as a part time outfielder and pinch hitter. In 1942, Sane was invited to spring training by the Boston Braves, and the Major League team was quick to offer him a contract. He made 40 primarily relief appearances for the Braves, but his baseball career was put on hold when he entered military service with the Navy on August the 21st, 1942. Together with Ted Williams, Johnny Pesky, Joe Coleman, and Buddy Grimp, he was learning to be a naval aviator at the Chapel Hill Naval Pre-Flight School based at the University of North Carolina. With so many notable major league players in one location, it was inevitable that Chapel Hill would have a competitive baseball team, and the Cloudbusters were among the finest servicemen teams of 1943. That year, they played a Red Cross benefit game against Babe Ruth's Yanklands team, a combination of Yankee and Indian ballplayers, and Sane got to pitch to the Babe when he came in as a pinch hitter, and he drew a walk. Now, after Chapel Hill, Sane was assigned to Waldron Field at Corpus Christi in Texas, and one afternoon in 1944, Waldron Field received a tornado warning. 
All planes were ordered off on a flyaway, and Sane went to Dallas, where he met Doris McBride and was soon making weekly trips to Dallas, and they were married in October of 1945. Between flying duties, though, he had time for baseball, and he played with the Corpus Christi All-Stars, and in the summer of 1944, they played a series of games against Naval Air Station Pensacola, a team that featured Ted Williams, Buddy Grimp, and Bob Kennedy, and with Sane on the mound, the All-Stars defeated the star-studded Pensacola team 2-1. to one. Sane allowed only four hits, none to Williams, Grimp, or Kennedy. And the following day, Pat McLaughlin, who would pitch briefly for the Dodgers after the war, turned in an Ironman performance, pitching 19 innings. And Sane's last inning leadoff single, where he was playing right field, subsequently won the game 5-4. to four. He was discharged from military service on November the 25th, 1945, and he firmly believed that his time with the Navy helped his baseball career. I think learning to fly an airplane helped me as much as anything, he said. I was 25 years old. Learning to fly helped me to concentrate and re-stimulated my ability to learn. Well, he returned to the Braves in 1946 and was an instant success. Despite having missed three full seasons, he was 20 and 14 with a very small 2.21 ERA. And what followed was a further three 20-win seasons, an all-star selection, World Series appearances, and a partnership with Warren Spahn that made up one of baseball's most fabled pitching tandems. Now, when his playing days ended in July of 1955, he had played for the Yankees and Athletics in addition to the Braves and had 139 wins under his belt. Sane became a highly successful pitching coach who helped develop 20-game winners Jim Cott and Mudcat Grant in Minnesota, Wilbur Wood with the Chicago White Sox, Mickey Lolich and Denny McLean in Detroit, and Whitey Ford with the Yankees. He got pitchers to believe in themselves said former big league pitcher Jim Bouton. Well, Johnny Sane passed away on November the 7th, 2006, at Rest Haven West Nursing Center in Downers Grove, Illinois. He was 89, and he was buried at Walker Cemetery in Havana, Arkansas. Now, there are many more players that I could go into great detail, and I'm going to do that again at another special time because what I have not mentioned are Guys in the Negro Leagues who also stopped their careers to be in the service. Wilbur Atkinson from the Nashville Cubs and the Nashville Stars. Jim Zapp, who learned to play baseball while he was in the Navy. And uh, Sidney Bunch and Clinton McCord and so many of those others who not, did not get the credit for their baseball playing until they got to the military in a lot of cases. So I'll save a time a little bit later for those players. I hope you enjoyed this uh, this podcast episode. If you have a subject you'd like for me to talk about or a question that you have about something I've discussed, be sure to send me an email at 262downright at gmail.com. And let me tell you, I honor my family members who have served in the military service, and I think you should too. We should all be grateful for what they did to make our country safe and make our country free. Thanks for listening.